cliffcentral.com. Good morning and welcome to Disrupt with me, Mpumintla, powered by T-Systems South Africa. Um, for those of you that are new with us on the show, we focus on immersive disruption. We have in-depth conversations with industry leaders on disruptive businesses, on emerging technology and business trends across various industries. And we have guests that join us in the studio on a weekly basis that work with us on these um, various topics. In the studio with me today... Um, I've got a, a guest with me, Tutuka Mklonga. How are you, Tutuka? I'm good, Bumi. How are you doing? Uh, good morning to you and your listeners. Thank you for joining me. Thanks um, for having me, man. Tutuka, you're an ICT industry, maybe not a veteran, but certainly been in the industry for, for quite some time. Yeah. You've worked in various telecommunications companies, the likes of MTN. You've worked with Vodacom. Yeah. You've worked with Altec. Nokia, not not just Nokia. Yeah, with Nokia. Nokia. Pardon me, yeah, with yeah. Nokia. So you've you've kind of been through it all and seen it all. Pretty much, pretty much. I, I'm not that old to become a veteran yet. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm still learning um, a lot in the industry. And yeah. I guess, I mean, it, it is an industry that's rapidly evolving and, and that, that is growing at a pace. But I want to go back a little bit to how you got into the industry. Um, you mentioned to me earlier that it was actually by chance that you landed up within the ICT space. Can you share that a little bit? Most definitely, man. When, when I was pretty much close to my metric, um, what I wanted to do was uh, be an engineer. Typically, land surveyor. Um, there was a career that I had in mind, and, and that's what I pursued. Um, joined uh, Natal Tech, I think it's called Devon Institution of Technology today. Okay. Um, pursued that, man. Did um, S1, S2, quite interesting. Um, later on, I think before you do your final year, your final semester, you, you need to get some practical training. So mm-hmm. they send you out in the field to do three or six months of that. Okay. Uh, I struggled pretty much finding work that would give me the experience before I actually finalized that. Somehow that landed me up in, in Cape Town uh, to look for, 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 for that practical experience so that I could proceed with my studies. While I was in Cape Town, obviously, started looking for jobs, couldn't find what I wanted, then landed myself a gig in um, gaming industries. It was online gaming industry. Online right? gaming. So, online okay. gaming. Yeah, this is in Cape Town. So it, it was pretty not that common much. Uh, it, it was really offering services to the US and to pretty much UK customers and, and in France as well. So this is pretty much online gambling, gambling on a PC. Something I've never seen before. So it's having a casino in your laptop. Uh, you've much. never seen anything like that no, before? No, man. I, I jumped in. All I was there to do was um, customer care. You know, just call center services. And, and that's a gig that was going to keep me going while I was in Cape Town, obviously coming in from, from KZN. Okay. So I needed to make ends meet. So when, when I joined in there, pretty much the gaming industry was all about IC. It was all about software development and so forth. Yes. And I had some guys there who who got me really interested into software development. So that's how my career changed. I mean, from there on, I just pursued um, software development. Okay. Uh, and yeah, and then I, I started studying towards that. But it was first self-taught. Um, languages like C++. Mm. Uh, just, that's the language that was introduced to me because it plays a, a big role when it comes to gaming. Uh, so okay. that's what I pursued. Uh, I didn't know better, right? It was in the easiest of software development languages. But you know, I, I fell in love with it, became good at it. Um, yeah, that, that, that's my introduction to, 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 to the ICT industry as a starting point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then, and then, I mean, for the, for a big part of your, um, of your career, you've really been within the telecommunication space, but not necessarily from the networks and engineering side, yep. but more in terms of the services Definitely. that the telcos provide. Yeah. But th- but that's an area that I think in the early days was not as prevalent as it is today. Yeah, most, m- most definitely. Uh, maybe to just run you through the journey, how I got there, right? So obviously being introduced into into 
programming. Mm. Um, I later played around with uh, application, mobile application development, believe it or not, quite early in the days, around about 2007. And this was done on Nokia devices. I think uh, most people in South Africa had Nokia phones yeah, at the time. Yes. But most people didn't realize that you actually had application on Nokia devices. The difference is that there was no app store. So you will create an application and you will have a sys file that you will put on a web portal. And people will go to those web portals and then download particular application and services. But were they very popular? I mean, I, you know, I had, I mean, like everybody else, I had a Nokia phone as well. Yeah, yeah. And I, I assumed those things just came with the phone. I didn't yeah, realize yeah, that yeah, you could. Yeah. So, so, so pretty much mobile network operator would create a variant where they would put specific application on the device because there was no app store at the time yes uh, so no one would know that you would go and actually find the app and actually download it on the phone yes most of us believed that when you get a phone as it is it comes it comes with that way that's the only thing so with us having hanging around with guys from uct sort of introduced me into uh, mobile application development it's specifically on symbian phones it was nokia phones that was an operating system running uh, nokia phones at the time yes and to my advantage, it was running C++, you know, sort of Simeon C++, and that's the language which I've become proficient in, which I, I fell in love with. Okay. So that jumped me over from software development for laptops and so forth, straight into mobile, right? Yes. So this was on the side gig, obviously. This is something that we were just doing offside. And, you know, it, it, we took an interest in it because you could manipulate a phone. You know, it started off as a, a simple request from some of the guys that, hey, you know what, can you block a phone, uh, a phone call coming in? You know, simple, simple things like that. Yes. You know, you, you would be surprised why people want to do that. They said, you know, when I have my phone on the table facing up and a phone call comes in, is there a way I could hide or not show the display that a call is coming in? Right. Okay. Pretend as if no phone call is coming in, block that call or send it to a voicemail okay. that's showing on the screen. And we'll have challenges like that and yes. we'll create stuff like that. Later on, it became. Kind of a malware situation where we could go as far as sending an SMS to your phone without you being aware and actually take out data out of your phone. So we'll say, send me contact on your wow. phone. I mean, that's how open Symbian was. I mean, it's pretty much close to what Android uh, is. But at that time, you could pretty much manipulate, manipulate that phone remotely by sending an SMS to it. And then obviously there needs to be an application that you would have gave to someone and said, no, this application does this, right? While in the background, you know that you can actually get a backdoor and actually, <laughs> you know, a, a, and that's what pretty much got me excited and pulled me more closer to, to the telcos. Um, with that experience coming in for mobile development, yes, and I also worked for, for another great company, which was Alchemy Software, which they did a lot of, of programming to that. Uh, it was a short spell before then, then I had to find a, a job in Johannesburg, yeah. which was supposed to contractually to Vodacom. Yes. Right. Providing um, prepaid services, pretty much what you do when you. And round about when was this? Around about 2008, 2008. when I moved to Joburg. Yeah, yeah, I think I spent around about eight years, nine years in Cape Town. Okay. Right. Um, that's where I mostly learned my, my trade. I mean, okay. a lot of exciting stuff, innovative. So a lot of playing around technologies. Uh, my girlfriend at the time, who's my wife now, obviously went to UCT. Remember, I I come from. Natal yes. Tech of David Institute of Technology now, and then moved over trying to find a gig. Uh, it, it was in pursuit of the girlfriend. Uh, uh. <laughs> yeah, married to the same lady, by the way. Now, yes. yeah, but um, and that opened up my eyes. I mean, I've, I've explored, came across great guys uh, yes. who introduced me into a whole lot of technologies, and and that what spin me off there. While I was in Cape Town, I also worked for MTN. That side, you know, worked for Momentum. Typically, we are developed. A, a, a basically 
a workflow application okay. using Visual C++ uh, uh, as a platform, you know, and then later joined that company, Alchemy. Alchemy sort of then propelled that career for my mobile development, uh, which then drove me straight to Vodacom. To you Vodacom. know, I was, as a service provider, I was contracted to Vodacom, providing services for Vodacom like DRC, um, Mozambique, and Tanzania. Okay. So let, let's mm. talk a little bit then about Vodacom. I mean, yeah. uh, they, they've been the largest uh, network provider in the country for yeah, a long yeah. time. Um, so coming into that space in 2008, um, mm. it's the early days of kind of smart devices. Yep. I think the iPhone 1 had launched by then. When did they launch that? 2007, eh? I think I think uh, the, the, yeah the iPhone was already out. The iPhone was I out think too. the iPad was going to be coming out. The iPad, uh, was coming iPad out. I think was the next big thing that was going to be coming through at that time. I can't remember what year was that. Okay. Right. Because we're sitting in the background. So pretty much what we did was you know your data transfer. Not, at that time it wasn't data. It was pretty much sort of your uh, airtime transfer. Okay. You know what so I mean? when, when you say airtime transfer, you mean if I'm buying airtime? Yeah. So I've got airtime. Uh, I've got airtime on my prepaid account. Yes. I want to transfer a little bit of that airtime or a portion of that airtime to you, right? Okay. Right, because you don't have airtime. So yes. it will allow me to then send, let's say, 50 rand to your prepaid okay. account because you don't have money in it. Yes. Rather, you don't have credit. Yes. So I'll send credit over to you, typically using a USSD, kind of, uh, you know, star hat, star one, two, three, something like that. Okay, and then sure. that, that would then transfer that. So we played around the, around those services, recharge services where you, you recharge using USSD. So which is a common still happening this very day. Yes. Uh, SMS, uh, charging, making sure roaming of SMSs between Tanzania and Kenya, typical stuff like that where you then bill the roaming of SMSs. So if someone leaves uh, Tanzania and going to Kenya, uh, you need to charge them for using a tower that doesn't belong to that, to that particular token. Yeah, no, yes. So we, we played around in that background, providing those uh, services at the back end in the prepaid space, of course. Yeah. yeah. And, and then obviously the introduction of smartphones. Look, uh, BlackBerry was already in the game, right? yes. which I think that what changed the game. I remember there was a transition where we normally had voice buckets, which is voice credits, where your, 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 your voice calls amount are stored. Okay. And you had SMS packets where that said how many SMSs you can send. Yes. That's where the credits are kept. Yes. We then, I remember at some point, then data packets were introduced. When I say packet, this is where all your credits are held. You okay. know? So like when the you bundles. Buy, yeah, like the bundles now. Yeah. So when you buy like uh, 500 megs, that will sit in the data uh, uh, bucket. Yeah. So when that was introduced, you know, it opened up a, a whole new world um, because now it wasn't about SMSs. Now you could actually use BlackBerry services, you know, to actually send a text or messages, instant messaging. Yes. And then some OEMs uh, started playing around coming up with their own messaging, uh, messaging uh, application. Nokia typically also try to play in this place, obviously try and compete yeah. with the likes of BlackBerry, where they had their own messaging. And, and uh, I think we do forget that mm. um, there, you know, we, there was quite a few chat yeah, mix programs lot, that man. Microsoft had yeah. their own at the yeah. time. So they've been quite a mix, lot over there. Mixit at the time was big, right? Remember, yeah. locally, uh, I think Mixit was the one that was. Uh, pretty much bigger. You remember the issue about whether it was zero rating and so on. Yes. So that data space, it, it was pretty much an early introduction of over the top services, which sort of bypass your typical SMS or GSM, mm. uh, your, your voice. It, it, people started obviously communicating a whole lot more cheaper using that data service uh, space as well. And, and, and that sort of also changed in terms of what services we needed to add on uh, to provide those to the consumers in terms of uh, data transfer. So moving from SMS, I mean, voice transfer or credits 
to data credit where now I can give you some data bundles and then I can transfer that and so forth. So those were the services in the background that mm. we, we did. Yeah. And, and when did you see that these over the, because at, at the time mm. it was really about voice. You, yeah. you pick up the phone, voice you make SMS, a call or you send yeah. an SMS. So there must have been a point at which um, you looked and said, you know, these over-the-top services or, or this space yeah. of, app, of applications gonna is really going to dominate. When was that? And, and what were the indicators? So the, so the early one, the iPad story, the iPad one that was going to come. Luckily, I, I was able to get an iPad one. Okay. Right? Early, very early. Okay. Uh, it, it, it wasn't actually bought in South Africa. So before it was stocked in South Africa, I managed to get my hands on one. Okay. Now, the challenge with, with the iPad was, was interesting because normally as a typical prepaid subscriber, you will recharge using a USSD code, right? Yes. Star something and then you recharge, right? Yes. It's typical though. You go buy a, 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 voucher, a voucher card, right? You scratch it, then the numbers. Then you start, then you put that number in, right? Yes. Now, here's a, here's a challenge. An iPad doesn't actually have the capability of doing a USSD because it, it actually can't make a phone call on it, right? Remember? Uh, it's not a phone. It's a tablet. Right. It was an introduction of tablet. Yes. So a phone typically you will do a start thing and it had the dial tone, so it allowed you to then push it to that channel. Oh, so that recharge. iPad one did not iPad have those though. capabilities. So, tell you what, I got an iPad, right? Beautiful. First challenge, obviously carrying um, a typical Nokia phone. I was still carrying most people already. Few people already had iPhones. But iPhone came with um, a micro SIM, right? Because now you've got a nano SIM. It came with yes. a micro SIM, which was a first challenge, right? Which means you could only use it on an iPhone. Most phones still had a standard SIM size. Yes, the uh, big one. SIM card, right? Now, when you buy the iPad, it had the same size micro, micro SIM, right? Um, a micro SIM card that went to the iPad. First challenge, so we went at, you will actually sometimes cut your card yourself and you put it into the slot. Next step, iPad was only as useful if you could get to the internet, so you needed data. Yeah. All right. You can't but Wi-Fi wasn't that uh, that much around at the time, so mm. we've got a whole lot of free Wi-Fi hotspots now and tip card. So you needed to actually use the mobile network operators to get your data, as you typically would do on your phone when you wanted to Google and so forth. Yes. There we came the challenge because you couldn't recharge. So uh, I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, whoa. So the situation is this thing cannot yeah. take a SIM. The standard SIM, standard then typically, SIM, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah. And yeah. then other thing is to recharge it. You cannot recharge it using the the USB stick. The typical, yeah, the typical. It wasn't a phone, man. Okay. It, it wasn't a phone, Bumi. So that was the first one. I remember um, I reported to a gentleman, um, Graham, uh, Graham Bottle. I said, "Hey, you know what? I've got, I've got an iPad." The one challenge also at that time, there was no data transfer. You know what I mean? If, if I managed to get my SIM card out and get someone who had an iPhone and then put it in there and then recharge, okay. then take it out and put it back onto an iPad. I also wanted to share the data bundles that I already loaded with family members. Yes. You know, so it has a little bit of data and then you can browse on your phone. Mm. Those were typical, some of the stuff. I remember us then coming up with the proposal to say, how about we develop a little bit more around the data space? Those were the typical challenges. And then you started realizing that the game was changing entirely. Okay. Right. And, uh, and, and that we were moving away from typical SMSs uh, and voice. Uh, look, um, SMSs as big as it was, I remember um, working with um, uh, researchers also that you know, most people, if you send an SMS, right, we, we, we take it lightly. Most our grandparents don't necessarily were keen on SMSs. You know, they will send, they will, they will call you yes. and say, call me back. Yes. Right? Uh, when you send an SMS, we, we, we assume that people read that, those SMS. Some people were illiterate. So voice was king. I honestly. See. You know, I you see. Know. Yeah. So you will send something from a rural side. They didn't really transact in SMSs. Yes, urban townships, typical maybe, but mostly it was voice. So when voice over IP came in, 
it sort of changed the game because you realize that over the top services, we're going to take over the space. But it took a while before mm. we came to realize. But as it started to happen, now you've got apps like what WhatsApp, which we actually we can have a conversation. But yes. obviously before that, there was Skype or LinkedIn and stuff like that. They introduced the space. I think it sort of then woke up the, the, the telcos as well. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. That's not where... We're going to be making a whole lot of revenue on. Maybe we need to diversify and start to see because there's a whole lot of mobile application development. So you remember I came back, uh, I studied you for mobile application development. That space boomed, obviously, with the introduction of the app stores, mm. right? So you said before you didn't know you could actually download the app. There were portals that you could go and download Nokia apps. It was a sys file. You put your phone on a PC, then you download the app, and then you had an application. The introduction of the app store actually Put mobile application to the main to the main I think back then it was it yeah. was pretty much for those who knew for very yeah, technical. Very technical. There yeah. were apps, man. There were apps back in the day. We we developed apps. I mean, Nokia had app platforms. You had app IDEs. I mean, in, in integrated development environments that you could use to develop applications, and you you could manipulate a phone. I mean, uh, if I gave you the app for free and said, "Look, this is a call manager. You know, you can manage your phone calls. You know, and so on." Yes, I'll sell you that right, and you put it on. While in the back end, I could do all funny things on your phone. You so know have changed now. Yeah. But I know you have a wonderful t- story that you tell about when Vodacom was just about to launch the yeah, iPad at yeah, the yeah. time and the pressure because of these things. You were no, no, oh. definitely. So so it, it also happened when we, we were at Nokia. So introduction, moving from a Symbian platform to um, a Windows 7.5 platform. Yes. Typical. So I, I had explained typically how we as prepaid subscribers we will recharge. Yes. You know, USSD. So similar thing to the iPad. Nokia phones, when they landed, I think it was Windows 7.5, which yes. was called Mango. Yes. Uh, that was introduced into the industry as a, replace, as a replacement for Symbian phones. Yes. Yeah, typical Nokia, as you know it. Yeah. And we introduced uh, a Windows platform at that time. Funny enough, when it launched, it didn't have USSD capability. It was a phone. It could die, but it, did, it, it couldn't could do die, SSD. But it couldn't do SSD. And right. in this market, yeah. it's a non-starter. You know, that means we had to go around and find an application. That's, you know, that's where the mobile application space then started booming in, in terms of Finding solutions that will go over the top instead of going through the normal channels, uh, the, the telco. So you do a, you, it, it looked like a USSD, but it still went over the top. I so see. it needed to have some kind of uh, data into it. So obviously, then that operating system phased out, and then it then realized that no, as, as part of the operating system when it came to Windows point point eight, it then came with the USSD. Typical thing also on on the iPad. Right, where then a mobile application needed to be developed. I think today you call my Vodacom app was, if I'm not mistaken, was an evolution of that early day where the ability to recharge your iPad using over the top services. I see. Yeah. So that's the, that's the evolution of, of, of mobile application development within mm. these tablets, within the smartphones. Okay. It comes far, yeah. Yeah. And, and where do you see that space going? I mean, um, I, I read somewhere an article that, mm-hmm. that spoke about, you know, you know, these headlines that they put, is this the end of mobile apps? Are we, you know, is there going to be a transition? Because if you think about how mm-hmm. apps are obviously very granular, yeah. uh, they're purpose-built, but yeah. they also proliferate on devices. Yeah. And then some of the stats will tell you that, you know, people use something like, you know, 20 to 25% yeah, yeah, of the apps yeah. on yeah. their devices, etc. Yeah. So how do you see, I mean, in your opinion, how do you see this, this app space playing out going into the future? Look, I mean, uh, you, we've come from different form factors. You know, remember the time the smaller phone was, it was cool. Yes. And later on, we wanted bigger screen. Then we ended up having tablets, phablets, and so on. Yes. You, you're starting to see we, again, stuck between this extra large phablet phone of going back to a smaller screen again to be able to do that. My view is that so long as the screen is smaller than the laptop, 
there needs to be some kind of a service that allows you to do a few clicks. Okay. Right. Okay. Typical application, mobile application allows you to do that. Yes. Unlike going to a browser. A browser, because of the amount of state you have on your laptop, it allows you to pretty much be able to get that beautiful user experience where you can click various menu sets on the browser and actually have a full experience of whether whatever service an organization uh, is offering. Okay. When it comes to mobile phone, you really have your thumb. Right, you're holding the phone and you pretty much want to click and swipe very quickly. I think the space is going to continue. The question is that there's so many applications. Yes. You need to find an application that is, you will utilize pretty much daily that services you, whether it be a flight checking application, depending if you're a traveler. So you may download a lot of apps, as you're saying. Yes. The question is that if you had to go and look how many applications you really utilize, those are the applications that you interact with. It would mm. be Twitter. LinkedIn, yes. so, you know, those are applications nonetheless. So, so do you think there'll be more aggregation in terms of apps or, or because, you know, the typical mm. um, um, approach is that, you know, an app is purpose-built, it does very specific things well. Mm. Um, but obviously as more and more services are driven by mobile, and yeah. I mean now it's pretty much you know, um, omnipresent. Yeah. Will we see more aggregation? So systems or applications that kind of pull different services together or, or not really on, on mobile phone factors? Yeah, my, my view is that it, 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 you know, if if you start aggregating a whole lot of stuff, is that how many layers can you put into a mobile application? Because my philosophy when it comes to mobile, and it should be simple, it should be allow me to transact uh, okay. while I'm carrying a bag in one hand and be able to quickly maneuver uh, through that service. I right? see. Once you once you aggregate a number of services, then I have to go through layers and layers and so on to get to the various services. And I mean, I think it's always purpose-based, okay. right? If I want to book a flight, keep it simple for me. Move from one step to the next step, auto auto complete some of the stuff and move to the next step. It's all about convenience and, 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 and the user experience. It yes. should be swift, it should be quick, right? Because I have only a small um, uh, screen to, 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 to work with. On the, on, on, on the browser, yes, you could have various services. You can on-sell other services. I could go in doing one thing or uh, looking for one services. Yes. And then as I move to the next screen, you advertise another uh, part of your organization services. Then I will click on that. Then it will pull me into that, maybe register to that. And then later on, I will have a number of multiple services. Typical would be a discovery application. I go in there, check my credit card statement. Yes. Oh, I've got vitality. Then next thing I've got my health. You know what I mean? It's various services that are integrated into one and I'm able to Interact with all of them because I am subscribed to all of them. But yes. you know, you start with one. Maybe you start with uh, just Vitality. Next thing, you then get a credit card from them. Next thing, it all in one application. Mm. It makes sense that way because you have pulled all the services. Then they are on the application. But however, the journey might have started with just one. But because you are subscribed to a single one, yes, then it makes sense to integrate that particular service. I but see. from the same service provider, for, for yeah. instance. Yeah. So I see now um, you've, your, your most recent role in the work that you do is mm. you're a digital workplace expert or specialist. And, and that's ah. quite a new term, I guess. I mean, I mean the words are not new. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. This, this idea of a digital workplace now. You know, moving from mobile, the consumer yeah, space yeah, yeah. with mobile yeah. devices and, mm. and, and the service providers and now taking it into a corporate world because you've started to talk a little bit about discovery and the things that they're doing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the idea for digital workplace, where does that stem from? What is that about? So uh, when I specialized, when I did my, um, IT, um, qualification, I qualified in business analysis okay. and business application, right? So although I was involved in mobile application development, specifically I looked at business application development. So I've done fully-fledged software development, uh, the whole works, okay. uh, workflow, 
in the business application servicing end users within organization. Typical, I've done one at Momentum in the early days. Okay. Yeah. So when I then moved into the space, it was a, I've always created services or developed applications that were consumer facing that were supposed to be gauged or evaluated by end users at the end of the point. Yes. So when I moved over uh, to corporate, even when I went to Nokia, it was always about a consumer. It was always about the end user. Whatever service or software I would develop, it would be gauged by that. Uh, consumer. So when you move to digital workplace or workplace productivity, it really looks at employees within an organization as the landscape transform. Typical laptop application installed like we used to do on the phone, install an application onto your phone, install application onto your actual device. That whole landscape is changing. Application now are being provided out of a cloud. You yes. know what I mean? Does this affect how Employees interact with typical productivity application or typical application within uh, their the, the laptops. You know, doesn't make a difference that the laptop is on the uh, is installed on the PC, or I'm actually streaming that application or the services from those applications from out of a cloud. So long as there's no latency and the user experience is great, yes. the end user shouldn't be able to tell the difference. Yes, uh, unless they're pretty much really a little bit more technical. Mm. So uh, moving from that, it's all about all of this hype around our digital. Workplace changing the way we work, the changing work styles. Typical, we're more on the road. You know mm. what I mean? You and I will engage, or I will call you through Skype on my phone using company landline. You know, call yes. on my on my mobile, it will dial from my office landline. It calls you. You see my landline number. And say, hey, you at the office? I say, no, no, no. I'm on the road. Actually, I'm going to see a customer and so on. And, and that is what's happening. Is that we are. Working from anywhere, we're able to connect and use services, corporate or enterprise services, regardless of where we are. So that space for me, uh, it really looks at servicing the end users and making sure that the technology speak to the people it meant to to provide services for. So that I found it interesting, being business analysis, analytic in, 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 in nature and okay. development-wise in terms of how is the end user gauging the service of various software. So I guess it's kind of like um, the, the corporate space um, kind of now leaning into what the consumer space was doing. You yeah. know, so where you had a mobile device, whether it was yeah. a tablet or a phone, mm. and all your applications sit on the device and all the data essentially is in the cloud. Yeah. And it's kind of taking that thinking and saying within a corporate space, you can also then kind of have your services yeah. and applications hosted in the cloud and you just consume them as and when you need them. So how I got to the space, you remember there was this whole thing where the smartphone industry obviously took on. Yes. From a consumer side, right? Came in Android, you had iOS, you obviously had BlackBerry and everybody else. But what started happening a couple of years ago, then we started bringing these mobile devices where? Into the corporate. Yes. It sort of created challenges, right? Typical one, I was the first one to also have email access on my phone. Although it wasn't allowed, you could do it. Yes. Right? And so later on, obviously, corporate IT started to realize, hmm, there's a serious threat here. And this is all these big terms around about bring your own devices came in. How do we facilitate or monitor uh, unmanaged devices coming in into a corporate environment, right? Obviously, having come from that background and understanding how applications and what typical things you could do on a mobile phone and what threats do they pose uh, if you had the right skills uh, within a device, how do we then make sure that the corporate networks were protected from these various devices? Yeah. Yeah, 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 but, uh, and how practical is this in the South African context? Because even mm-hmm. myself, as someone who engages technology yep. quite extensively, 
Um, when I think about the concept, you know, I can see it in terms of my consumer services because they're normally very low. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the the amount of data and transactions that I'm doing is very low. It's simple stuff, you know, yeah. whether it's booking a flight or navigating yeah. somewhere. It's pretty, and and if it's not working that well, it's okay. Yeah, if you get what I mean. Yeah. But but when you're running a large operation, a large organization, yeah. where you know little bits of latency can have a balloon effect, impact. Um, where you really want it to work because it can create frustration with yeah. employees, etc. Is this becoming successful, or are we still really just trying stuff out? Look, um, what becomes a problem with regards to especially introduction of uh, bringing your own devices or bringing your own laptops or still even when corporates don't like it, you know, there's some companies that are strict and says, you know what, we will only allow company-owned devices, right? Yes. Managed devices, whether it be a laptop, whether it be a tablet or whatever the form factor is. Uh, the reality is that uh, if you even try and block that, people are still using it. And my take and, and what I've experienced is that the more you introduce a whole lot more of learning, you know what I mean, in terms of how smartphones or how the use of personal devices can increase productivity, right? This You hear this a lot, but it's actually true. I'm using my own phone to access company uh, and enterprise services, right? I can, As I said, I could use a company Skype to call you. Hmm. And it would be dialing out, out of the company phone. So I'm saving my own voice. Uh, but, data. but do yeah. we have the networks yes. and the infrastructure yes. to support it? Maybe expensive, but we have it. We have it. I mean, you and I can have a pretty much good Skype call. Maybe not in the rural areas, but yeah. in the typical but, urban areas, you but, and I would have. But could I, on a daily basis, mm-hmm. with all of my, whether I'm using SAP or Oracle, whatever yeah. I might be using, yeah, yeah. Um, ap- with all those applications sitting in the cloud and me yeah. kind can I work productively, consistently on a daily basis, you know, in, in, in the context of this digital workplace? No, no, you can. You can. I mean, it, starting point is that you can obviously use Oracle or SAP from your phone. You know, there are actually now services and applications that are pushed as mobile application onto your mobile phone. So while you're traveling, you're saying you, you're going out in which you travel a lot, you are able to actually access your, your HR uh, systems, book a leave as typical way as you will book a flight. Yes. Right. And that's the whole nature. That consumer space has introduced itself into the corporate. And as a consumer, you're saying, I'm able to transact very quickly and do what I need to do on my mobile phone. Why can't business allow me to do the same thing? I you see. know, I mean, I'm, I see. M- mobile banking, I mean, internet banking, mobile banking is a typical story where it has moved from a browser into a predominantly a very usable application, right? So pretty much most banks use that. And that's what you do. Most of us will transact on our phone because mm. we've come to learn. But like every changes in technology, I mean, I remember we had to teach people what data was. Right? Okay. Voice, right? At first, I know if I loaded 10 bucks, I had to work out how much it it would last. Yes. Because they were peak and off-peak times. Yeah, you know? it was complex. So we needed to educate. And then people said, nah, no, nah, they're robbing us. You know what I mean? Uh, because you called on, on, on peak hours. Mm. You know, it wouldn't be the same if I called after seven. Mm. Because the 10 run would last longer than it would during the day, right? And, and it's the same thing that we constantly have to do, is that we have to teach end users. As technologies evolve uh, and Show them that certain things have changed And this is what changes And this is what cloud services are But as, I, as you were saying, latency So long as no latency I shouldn't be even having a bad experience I should be able to source my email Pretty much from the cloud We've been doing it on Yahoo 
Gmail, Hotmail, yes. and so forth, right? Yes. And that is a service out of a cloud. You actually could borrow somebody's laptop, log on, go to an internet cafe back in the day and actually access your email, send your CV, apply. Typical, that's what we did, right? Yes. When we came out of tertiaries and we would go to this internet cafe because we didn't have one and we would pay a certain amount and we access email because we created these uh, online emails. Typical now you have Office 365, which you can now access typical services on the cloud. You can excel office productivity applications from virtually cloud without you having to install them on a typical PC. So which mm. means I could still borrow your, your laptop and access my account and able to transact as I would typically do on an Excel spreadsheet, regardless what the device is. You know what I mean? Yes. Because all these services now are not dependent on the device itself. So they're not installed on a specific computer. They're now pretty much available from a browser, which allows them to be accessible 24-7 from anywhere mm. I am, so long as I have good connectivity, of course, as, as you're putting it. So I think enough in South Africa, it's already happening. You okay. know what I mean? A lot, a lot. Large, we, large we corporates? Um, large corporate, yes, definitely. Um, look, uh, larger corporates are, are, are late adopters of technology because purely of the complexity. Of legacy applications that I've got Having to modernize, transition Also, it takes a lot There's a lot of employees So you have to do a whole lot of evangelism Around technology In driving people from legacy applications How they custom to working There's also a complex environment in the back end mm. Complex applications You yes, know, you yes. had typical customized applications That were developed by people like us Back in the day when we did desktop development Right, software And then as the software evolves and, and goes over time, there's lack of documentation. You'll find a whole lot of applications exist in the IT environment, but they're not documented. So there's Guess only what? one guy yeah, he's just who knows how it works. Look, and if that guy... Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah. Even that guy, you'll find that he's not the actual programmer, right? He, he, he came in, maybe some of the guys were already leaving or going on the retirement. The, the, this, the application or service has been working for over 20 years, 25 years, you know? Mm. It's working, right? What you tend to find is that new services sort of integrate or pull data out of that particular services. But nobody wants to touch that because really nobody knows how deep it goes, you know what I mean? And what, if we stop this, what will actually happen? So you, you still find that. And then it's complex and bigger. And that's why organizations like the systems that I work for, then able to provide those services to complex and bigger organizations. Small organization, agile, is the ability of really you don't have legacy application. You can jump on, if you and I were to start an organization, now we could jump on use cloud services. Mm. We don't really uh, need to be heavily reliant on IT, have IT personnel. Maybe we have one or two guys, but purely our services can be sourced virtually from a cloud. Why complicate things? The problem with big organization, they had on uh, on premise applications that were, were were legacy to it, how do you then transform or transition and migrate those services over to a cloud that takes a journey and that 's pretty much what we do as you know yes. is that guide customers from those legacy application landscape and transition them slowly f into a much more cost effective and efficient way of working, which is this digital transformation that we always talk of you know I mean? yes. that is a journey in a big organization and it 's not an easy thing and, uh, and, and fundamentally i mean you know because you 've touched on something which I don't want to just, you know, brush over, but this mm. digital transformation, yep. you know, if we are trying to articulate it um, to someone who's not necessarily of fait with all this jargon mm. that might, you know, um, how, how would you, in the context of the work you do, how, how would you explain that? So, so I always look at it, you know, um, without trying to complicate things, we're good at IT giving things names, you yes. know what I mean? Because yes. there's a new element in, in what we're doing, you know what I mean? So a typical transition, where we call digital transformation, 
formation, you are moving typical on-premise, meaning applications that were developed sitting in the office space. You have rent servers room in a server room somewhere yeah. within the office. You had to buy hardware. On top of hardware, you had to put operating system. You had guys looking after those operating system as a platform. Then yep. you had to put various services, your exchange, your, your way to communicate, your HR services or applications that service your employees when they apply for leave, check their pay slips and so forth. Application that are looking after your customer, customer relationship management, you know, various number of services and application. Each one had a layer of people from IT that were responsible for each part. People responsible for maintaining hardware, people responsible for maintaining the platform that all the application and services are sitting on top. And then you had people managing those applications. Sure. Then you had network guys who then had to manage the network to make sure that everything is connected and you're able to do business and customer able to connect to your services that you're providing to external companies. And all this was done pretty much mostly from a, an on-premise within the office space. So you had had to have these big server rooms, right? Yes, the yes. transition now came around about, okay, now we are able to take all this infrastructure and we're able to put it somewhere, and we call this place a cloud. It's still a physical place. The okay. idea is that it is somewhere a pie in the sky, somewhere in the cloud, okay. because you don't know where it is. You don't really need to know where it's sitting, right? Okay. It is from your back office where you know it was, and we're moving these services to somewhere in the cloud. Okay. Right. And that was a transition. So the transition, when we say digital, now we're saying from a physical, tangible services that we know, and we had guys looking after those, to something out where in the pie, digitally, something that is in one and zeros that we can't see okay. virtually. And what and is and what is the value then? So so having obviously the the, mm. the infrastructure on premise, yeah. I can see it, I can touch it, I can feel it, I can control it. Yeah. I put it in the cloud, which yeah. is a physical place, but it's somewhere else. So it's somewhere not else, yeah. under necessarily my direct control. Yeah. What is the value that stems from it? So the, the value came around, um, you know, a, a typical uh, example would be, you know, organization would run a lot of services towards a year end, whether they're running batch jobs and so on to to, to, to actually pull some reports. So like reporting, reporting or maybe it's a busy period yeah, for retailers, yeah, transactions, whatever it might be. Big tech, big, big telcos like uh, network operators, mobile network operators who run batch jobs to recharge. So a typical thing if you have your, your monthly recharges coming through, yes. right? We used to do batch jobs. So which means all subscribers that ha- on a specific day need to get their airtime. So if I, I get a 60 rand or 100 rand airtime, yes. we would run services. Typically much what happens maybe in banking when you're paying people their salaries. Yes. You know, you, you, the funny thing is that I remember you, you would know when your salary comes in. You know, because it's a batch. Normally if... If it, you, it will come in at one o'clock, yes. you know, you know, my salary will pop in at one o'clock. Or yes. my airtime for that matter. Sometimes other people will get the time at seven o'clock. Some people will get it at 12 o'clock because yes. the bed drop runs after 12, something like that. So where I'm going with this is that you had to have the infrastructure that allowed a, a computing power to run a load of transaction. Okay. Very quickly to be able to service those subscribers. So what you tend to find is that we will buy huge infrastructure to accommodate for those peak period, you know, to when oh, we're running huge services and huge uh, demanding services. And you'll find other organizations would do that once in a year or twice in a year. So you're not running that huge volume on a daily no, basis? No, 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 on a daily basis. But so you have you, to make sure that yeah, you buy you know, the infrastructure. So you buy enough infrastructure to, to accommodate that period where you know it's peaking. So with this whole thing of uh, cloud services, it, it was around about how, how how can we take the infrastructure, which is very expensive, where we can then allow a number of people to utilize that infrastructure f- and then only order the peak 
when they need when it. You need it. And then yes. pay for it. And then also when they're not using it and only pay the, for, 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 for the usage of those services at normal levels. You know what I mean? So if I want to then run these big best jobs, whether it's at end year or end of the month, I will then get ready for that. And I would pay for only those two, three days of the month and then go back to my normal operational levels. You know okay. what I mean? That saves cost, obviously, because now you're no longer taking the, the burden of paying for an infrastructure that you hardly utilize on a yearly basis every day the same way and okay. then only then pay for those periods and go back so the whole transition to the cloud whether it be it's a hybrid cloud whether it's a it's a private cloud meaning that it only services you the idea is that the service provider takes uh, the 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 capex level of it you buying upfront the infrastructure they would buy the infrastructure you would pay for the services that you use which means you have enough money capital that you could use to drive operational services rather than investing first on hardware then paying people to mm. to, to to look after the various hardware application the platforms and so on you leave that to the people who offer cloud services to do that for you and you pay for what you're utilizing okay you can see a whole lot of amount of money in savings that you could redirect somewhere else in the business okay. by doing that and and this is the promise obviously when we say move stuff in the cloud but it also takes away the complexity right okay right. and then on the on the end user side if we talk about digital transformation what does it mean to them from from, from end user i think we touched on it on first is that if we're transitioning in the way like work style if we look at the workplace let's look at the workplace not maybe the consumer side let's look at the workplace yes in a consumer space will be typical how we're banking today and how we're transacting yes. we didn't used to do that before but on 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 the workplace side is in terms of the way people work has entirely changed. I mean, I remember you used to have a landline phone on your desk. Yes. Right? Fixed. You will come at the office at 8 o'clock. You leave at 5 o'clock. Right? I could only find you on that landline phone. Between then came, those Yeah, hours. you know what I mean. And then only then came the cell phone. And now the transition around that is that most of us are hardly in the office. You still have office-bound employees. But you predominantly have a large number of people in the organization that are not there. So how do we then digitize or make these services that were always fixed in the environment available pretty much anyway? Okay. Right. And this concept of okay, moving physical services and hardware to a cloud somewhere that I could access from anywhere, from any device. And this is now the ability to digitally access these services, whether it be a browser, whether it be whatever service. And the consumer, obviously, as we said, if the network is good and so on, it shouldn't really be an issue. Because if the service still works the same way, yes, you shouldn't be able to it tell should, whether sitting in the back office, matter. it should, you know, I should be able to be remaining productive, uh, productive in, in my nature. If it's the same service, regardless whether it was on the PC or it's in the cloud, the quality of service or the user experience should remain constantly the same or maybe even better. I see. Because now it's convenient. The difference is that I needed to carry a company laptop to perform company tasks. Today, I may not necessarily need to be running company and enterprise services from a company laptop. I could actually access that while I'm traveling. Okay. From pretty much any device, device. in anywhere. Anywhere. So then I, I want to then. Securely, of course. Securely, yeah. yeah. Um, but then I want to talk about something you mentioned earlier, you because mm. I, I challenged, um, you know, the idea that, you know, you can have a digital workplace fully currently in mm. South Africa mm. around latency and networks. And then, and then you said it might not be cheap. Right, and and so obviously, I mean, I'm not necessarily one for hashtags, but then you know, this idea that data is expensive, data must fall. Um, what, what does how, how does that impact on our ability to transform digitally? Um, yeah, look, um, 
currently I'm not on a contract, so I'm also still remaining on, on a prepaid okay. uh, for various reasons. You know, I've worked yes. in the prepaid space. <clears throat> I still transact. Uh, so, although having the luxury of having Wi-Fi at the office, having Wi-Fi at home, but between those two environments, I still need to use my data bundles, right? Yes. I, I the do, mobile data. Yeah, mobile data, typically. Mm. I do, you know, get a feeling that it is really expensive. You know, watching a YouTube video, whether it be three minutes and four minutes, you know, you, then you get this notification that you only got 200 megs left after buying a gig for around about 150. Mm. It, it, it does create a challenge, you know. It, 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 it does also you know, minimize the adoption of those digital services or those mobile or internet-based services when you are actually paying from your own pocket. And that's why other in, um, organizations subsidize the use of data from your mobile. So the company will pay a certain amount uh, mm. or will allow a certain amount, will say two gigs per month, mm. right, to to allow the productivity to continue while you're outside the office because you, you're thinking now, should I download this attachment from my email, which is 10 megs, right? Yes, yes. Yeah, and you've got three or four of these because you have presentation, yeah, various documents. Yeah. And then obviously if you're doing this from your own pocket, you will then read the email but not download until you get to a Wi-Fi, uh, uh, where Wi-Fi is available or when you get at home. So it, it, it defeats the purpose if you're going to work like that because mm-hmm. the idea is that you should be able to access your work from anywhere or your emails and those documents should be accessible to from anywhere. But if there's a limit or a restriction in terms of you thinking, mm, I already downloaded like 50 megs today and it's out of your pocket from a productivity aspect, organization will subsidize that and will say, mm. we'll give you two gigs of that. You will use a company SIM card. After that, then it's on your own pocket. So right? definitely the cost of data is something that needs no, to be looked no, at. No, definitely. Uh, um, very closely. Definitely. Yeah. Look, I, I've traveled around, uh, worked as part of EMEA. Right, sub-Saharan Africa. You know, I've gone around, and you, when you evaluate, right, it's 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 it, it does come through as very expensive. You know, I mean, it is. It is. Yeah. You actually feel it. You mm-hmm. feel it. You you could, if you're on the road most of the time, you could reach out a couple of number of times. You know, not smaller, but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, to as as we near the, the end of the show, and it's mm. been a great conversation. Mm. Um, can you maybe just touch on to some of the key lessons um, that, that that you? learned just being within the telco space I mean, obviously more around the services mm. but lessons that perhaps um, other business leaders could uh, lean into based on, on your experience it, you know for, what I picked up very while I was there is 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 the pace at which technology changes you know you, you see it in the horizon coming yes but the impact that it will have you know only few are able to envision what, how it will affect the entire industry. You know what I mean? So my, my advice is that when a new technology is introduced, yes. right, you need to look in terms of what kind of, where in the industry does it impact? Where does it touch in? So the introduction of cloud services, for example, right? The introduction of iPads, smartphones that entirely change the landscape, mobile applications, right? It, it totally changed and disrupted the industry. Now you, you, you get a whole lot of other services that it came into, into the space. I remember while I was working for, for Nokia, Uber came in. You know, yes. I had a guy coming in and says, I've got this great application. You know, I would like to have it running into your, into your app store. Uh, obviously I was working for Nokia devices at the time. You know what? I didn't take him seriously. Uh, at first, you know, and we had, I think, two or three engagements before I actually understood what he was talking about. I had my own car. Yeah. Something, why the hell would I order? car to come you know 
obviously limited experience because I, I, I don't drink, so I don't think maybe I would need someone to drive me. But, you know, at some point then I took a, a cab from, 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 from home going back home to Durban. I took a cab to the airport and was the guy, I always felt that I was being cheated. You yeah. know, it felt the bill came close to 500 bucks. I'm like, hell no. You know, I could have just driven and paid for parking. And I told this guy, I said, you know what? There's a, there's a service coming in that will disrupt the industry. Mm. It'll take you a while before. I think it took three or four years as what you see now. But nobody has envisioned how serious and know how big the impact would be. For leaders is to identify all the technology trends that are coming through and try to see within the organization how will this impact their own organization, mm. if any, you know, industry-specific. Uh, yeah, and I, said, I think the idea is to not to just ignore things. Mm. You know, take some time, understand it, even if you don't implement it. Yes. But take some time to understand it and see where the opportunities possibly could be yes. for the organization. And, and whether you need to adopt it because it might impact the industry that you're in, right? Yes. A- again, it takes great leadership and great insight. Not everyone is able to pick this, these things up, right? Sometimes it's too late. Sometimes you're just a follower and you are just following it or jumping on the bandwagon. Some other people are just early adopters of technologies because they have that insight. So leadership needs to have the right team of people that are able to see these things coming and sort of, you know, make scenarios. What is the impact of this in my industry or my vertical could it have any impact and start looking at things i mean typical things like blockchain we were talking about it about three four years ago at some point you know it it's, keeps just evolving a whole lot of other technologies that are coming and there's so many of them uh, you have to look everywhere so you have to have the right team and the right blend of skills and people and people with foresight mm-hmm. who are able to see how the various technologies can impact or even uh, have a, a, a positive impact into your own organization and and and, and i would say that that is a key one alone you can't do that because mm-hmm. you don't have all the the expertise in the various fields within the technology spaces but the, a group of good experts around you are able to raise these flags and say, hey, you know this thing? There's could something, change, yeah. something yeah? yeah? We could jump in here. Yeah? We could make a whole lot of great business. If we leave this, we might find ourselves in, pro- in a serious problem. That, that would be my advice, is continuously looking for new things and seeing those opportunities, but also seeing the threat yeah. and, you know, and mitigate that. And given that we try to discern, you know, what, what disruption means for businesses and for individuals, I guess, hmm. how, how do you define disruption? So, so for me, uh, disruption, I, I, I see it as a, as a positive move. You know, it, it, as, as I said, if you are a follower or you are skeptic, you're skeptical in your approach, you will be, you'll find yourself in the bad side of technology. It would disrupt you in a bad way. It would pretty much shut down your business, right? Uh, without naming, as I said, I work for one company. It's amazing how one day you are a leader in the market. Yes. Right within a short period, because you're failing to see how the technology and how the changes in the, in your environment can disrupt and change your dominant position. Nokia, yeah. essentially, you yes. will find yourself in a really compromising situation in a very short of time. Yeah. Right, the flags are there, the flags are raised. Hmm. The right leadership and someone who has foresight should be able to see this and say, you know what, maybe there's something here. But sometimes when you Arrogant, or you have run a good run for a long time, or you've got a too comfortable or dominant position. You know, I'm a fan of boxing. You know, it's almost when you when you're hungry and you wake up in the morning and you want that belt, you 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 work hard. You Mm. know, you work hard. You wake up early, four o'clock, three o'clock in the morning, you run. When you're at the top, sleeping in silk uh, silk sheets and beautiful big beds, now you've got the stuff. It's hard to wake up, man. It's hard to wake up, and that's where you fall short. 
an underdog will come through and take you out. Simple as that. Because mm. he's hungry and he wants that bad. So consciousness is very hard to stay on top. You need to always be on your feet. You need to have the right people, innovative enough, who are f- who looks at disruption as an opportunity rather than as you know, something that is a, is a threat. Even if it is a threat, you find a way. How do you make the best of that? And then keep going. There are companies who continue. Look, Nokia still exists today. Yeah. Right? It's, it's just transformed itself mm. entirely. You know, yes. it left that space. So everybody still talks of it as something that died. It, it actually evolved. You know, I mean, they've been, they've been there for years. Yes. And they still exist. But it, it takes certain companies to evolve and change. You know, certain companies don't exist, Kodak. You know, Others exist. No, if you search it, still there. Yeah. But it's a Blackberry player, still there. Yeah, play in a different space. Yeah. Right. It's, that's even when it, disruption sometimes come, it may necessarily mean you change your entire business model okay. and move totally to a different space. And then what, what would your vision then be for South Africa, for the continent, uh, within, with, within that context? Mm. Yeah. For me, you know, uh, with Africa as a whole, rather than just South Africa, it is the ability to get everyone uh, exposed. To information and that comes obviously around the the, the, the issue of data that we spoke about. Mm. How do we make sure that opportunities for people in the rural areas, for people in the townships where I come from, MLAs, who are able to gain access to the internet and be able to explore opportunities, whether finishing metric or you finish your, your degree, you know, it's a challenge finding a job. And and a simple thing is that you're not even on the digital platforms to to look for those particular opportunities because of the data itself being expensive. So for me, uh, uh, the view is to try and actually minimize the cost of such uh, data and allow people to be there and able to exploit and, and, and expose themselves to, to, to various social platforms so that they get opportunities. So if we can get everybody on, I mean, the introduction of mobile phone really advanced Africa in terms of access to to date and to the yes, internet, absolutely. Right? And I know guys like Google are trying to actually just make sure that everybody's in there. So there's bad sides to obviously internet access, but the good side, let's look at the positive side. It will allow young people to actually gain access to information, mm. which could build them and then take us forward as a continent. You know what I mean? Uh, and for me, it's that, and that, and the data underpins that, and data must fall is something that I, I actually support. You know, it could open up doors for people who have no access. Uh, to to the services who might have limited, might might have longer span and allow themselves to, to you know, to acquire information in these platforms. To sugar, yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on the show today. It's thanks been for having me. Very Thank insightful. You. Thanks, thanks, man. Um, thanks. I always, you know, um, hope that our guests will join us again on the platform. Hopefully, you do the same. That also took Amshongo. He's a digital productivity specialist um, at T Systems. He's worked in the telecommunications industry for a long time with MTA and with Vodacom and a few other organizations. Nokia, you mentioned. Um, you were there with Nokia when yeah, they transitioned Nokia. into Microsoft. Yes, yes. So you spent time there as well. So you really got in quite a broad breadth of experience and knowledge which we're happy that you came to share with us today. Thank you for everybody who's joined us on the show and Disruptive and Booming Tlapo. It's been another very insightful and um, um, engaging conversation to our sponsors T-Systems for um, allowing us this platform. Thank you very much. And we look forward to talking again next week on Disruptive and Booming Tlapo. Have a wonderful day. Cliffcentral.com